This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is Sonal. You're listening to the Offscript podcast. And on the episode today, we're speaking to the former chief science officer of NASA, Jim Green. He has an absolutely outrageous plan to terraform the red planet. It involves shooting a giant magnetic shield between the sun and Mars. But let's hear it straight from him. The Big Interview with Offscript. Now, before we get into this big interview, this is kind of a feature we're trialing out. We're calling it Offscript 2099. I love that title. <laughs> we're looking, we're delving now into the realm of science fiction about things that, you know, where does the boundary between sci-fi and reality begin and end, essentially? What's yep. actually in our future if we think far enough ahead? And we're looking about colonizing, specifically terraforming Mars, and we'll talk more about what that means. But it did make us think about what are some of the things that sounded absolutely insane to you when you first heard them announced, but then... Of course, yeah. they, they worked out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, there was a couple... When I was a kid, um, Concorde was a thing. Yeah. And also the bullet train. I remember seeing reports on like kids' TV about Japan, and the bullet train was part of it. And that, that idea of travelling so fast to me just seemed outrageous. And then, sure enough, I went to Japan many years later, and I got on the bullet train, and I lived out a little dream. It was nice. But yeah, <laughs> that. Just, came full remember, circle. It came full circle. I remember at the time thinking... No, that's balmy. You can't yeah. travel that fast. Absolutely not. Yeah. 600 miles an hour or something like that. Yeah, it is incredible. It's yeah. such an experience. And unsurprisingly, Chris went to the world of sport. The idea of a FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Uh, yes. Could have never imagined that that could yeah. and would be true. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was definitely, I remember when the Palm Jumeirah, the concept of it was announced. Because, of course, I grew up here. And it was the early 2000s. They right. had kind of said, we're building this giant Palm Island in the sea where it didn't otherwise exist. And this was before this was the first real massive reclamation project I could remember hearing of. And I just remember thinking, that sounds insane. (laughs) And also why? And then lo and behold, some 20 years later, Mm -hmm. I spent some time living on the Palm and it's actually one of my favorite spots in Dubai. So it actually happened. It totally worked out. There are things that you can sometimes hear of and think that is absolutely mental. Why would we do that? How will we do that? And all it takes is enough people with a vision and the decision to go through with it yeah. to make it turn into reality. So that's where we're going to hear, because earlier in January, we told you about a very accomplished NASA scientist. He had an outrageous plan that we talked about. Jim Green, he's NASA's chief scientist, was saying goodbye to the agency, retiring after four decades of work there. He spent 12 years as the director of NASA's planetary science division and the last three years there as its chief scientist as well. And he was making headlines because he was talking about a plan to terraform Mars, essentially make it habitable for humans by warming and thickening the atmosphere of Mars using a giant magnetic shield between the red planet and the sun. Now, this sounds, even just trying to think of or visualize this sounds insane. So the idea is that by doing this, you would create some sort of atmosphere on Mars that would bring the temperature and pressure levels to the point where humans could walk on the surface without a suit. Wow. And without their blood boiling in their bodies, essentially. <laughs> right. You know, not, you would still need some oxygen, but there would be basically more decent levels for you to exist on the planet. And we're going to get into this with NASA's Jim Green. And I want to get straight into this conversation with Jim Green. He is NASA's chief scientist. And we love talking to astronauts, talking about space, and especially talking about outrageous plans for colonizing space <laughs> on the show. I kind of wish Robbie was here because I think his blood would be boiling <laughs> at this particular topic because Jim Green, who is retiring from NASA after a long and accomplished career there, is 
essentially proposing that we place a giant magnetic shield between Mars and the sun so that it can help Mars recreate some sort of atmosphere so that humans can walk on the surface with a little bit more ease than they would be able to currently. So a little bit of background for this that you need to understand. A magnetosphere is a topic that you're going to hear him talk about. It's essentially the same way that our planet has a magnetic field around it. It's a really important aspect to shield a planet from radiation, but also f- to maintain its atmosphere. Okay. One of the reasons Earth has an atmosphere is because we have a strong magnetic field. Oh, okay. So that's just a little bit of context to understand this interview. And of course, this idea sounds absolutely bonkers. So I have to admit, when I was speaking to Jim, I was expecting him to be a little bit out there. <laughs> and he wasn't at all. So really? how did such an idea even present itself in his mind? How did he stumble across this very thought? Well, I'm a magnetospheric physicist, which means um, I never met a magnetic field I didn't like. So I'm well-versed in how the solar wind interacts with the Earth's magnetosphere and many of the other planets. And, of course, Mars, which used to have a magnetosphere, no longer generates its own magnetic field. So consequently, uh, what's been happening uh, that one of our major probes called MAVEN has uncovered is indeed uh, the fact that the solar wind is starting to strip the atmosphere of, um, of Mars and so consequently, over billions of years, uh, Mars's um, pressure, its atmospheric pressure on the surface is very low. It's about a percent that of the Earth's. And they believe that a significant portion of that's been stripped by the solar wind. Magnetic fields help stop that. And so if we can indeed create a large scale magnetic field, and there's um, not only many ways, but many places that we would uh, consider doing that, then we can stop the stripping. So if we stop the stripping, then the, then the outgassing of Mars will continue and the pressure will start to increase. And if that happens, so will the temperature. And that means Mars will start the process of terraforming itself. So essentially create some sort of artificial magnetic field and the atmosphere will be able to start to slowly rebuild over time. Wow. Yeah. And the idea of terraforming, I was looking into this today because it does seem so science fiction. Mm. It's not just about Mars. It's a concept in general about modifying the atmosphere, the surface, the ecology of a certain planet or other body to be similar to the environment of Earth. Making right. it habitable by Earth-like beings, you could say. Yeah. And this is a concept that's been around for quite a while. Carl Sagan, the astronomer, pro- uh, proposed um, the engineering of terraforming of Venus back in 1961. Oh, wow. There have been other references to it in science fiction as well. So this has been a topic that's been kicking about for a couple decades now. And I've realized there are a number of ideas that are floating around. And a giant magnetic shield is not even the weirdest one. <laughs> it does not even rate on the scale of the wackiest ideas. I mean, some of the other things... <laughs> Things that have been proposed are the ideas of send, sending solar-powered greenhouse gas-producing factories up to Mars, kind of an artificial greenhouse gas effect that we could do, um, and it would mimic the natural process of photosynthesis. So it would take in carbon dioxide, emit oxygen, until very gradually over many, many years, the Mars ash, Martian atmosphere would be oxygenated. 
So that's one idea is massive greenhouse gas wow. kind of factories. Another idea, and this one's wild, is um, a couple of space scientists by the name of Christopher McKay and Robert Zubrin have said that we could hurl large icy asteroids with a lot of ammonia at the red planet. So essentially shoot asteroids at Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is that smashing an asteroid of a massive size into Mars would create an energy impact that would raise the temperature of the planet by three degrees. Raising the temperature by that amount would melt a trillion tons of water, they say. They hypothesize. That's wow. basically the idea is then to just keep doing that. Do a number of these missions over the course of 50 years until eventually you create a temperature climate and enough water that they say would cover 25% of the planet's surface. So when you hear that, when you hear the idea of just smashing multiple asteroids a year yeah. into Mars, suddenly the idea of a magnetic shield doesn't sound so wild, does it? Sounds quite, sounds quite sensible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Jim Green... About what exactly this magnetic shield is, because I, for one, was imagining something out of like Star Trek or a Marvel movie. You know, when you see that invisible force field sometimes that yeah. appears. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I've got in my head. But what is an actual magnetic sphere in the sense of shield? Sorry, in the sense of what he's talking about, what does it look like? The basic part about how to generate a magnetic field really comes about from uh, moving charged particles. So in your house, you have wires you plug into the wall and electrons are moving in the wire and that creates your electricity, but it also creates a magnetic field. And so consequently, moving charges create magnetic fields. And so when we go into space, although we don't have wires, we indeed can generate these charged particles and move them from place to place, creating a current. It's all about, it's all about how, how fast they move, uh, how many they are, and where we put them that can generate this magnetic field. When he wow. says it, it almost sounds reasonable because yeah. <laughs> essentially it's, it's just talking about charged particles and yeah. getting them in the right place in the same way that we used charged particles here on Earth for mm -hmm. different applications, electricity, et cetera. And I said, well, how do you get it there? And also, how do you scale it to the size that it's making a difference on a planet? And he said he described one potential. Of course, they're still working out the mechanics of this, but one potential solution he described as like a ray gun where <laughs> you would develop a device. He's, he's turning into a Bond villain. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see it. Almost yeah. this innocuous professor type. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he means well. Uh, uh, yeah, but in reality, he's yeah. developing this massive ray gun that's going to put society at risk. Um, he says a ray gun or a device that would charge this material that you could then blast to wherever you want it. Wow. And you kind of position it in the right place. Yeah to create that magnetic shield that he's talking about. In terms of using, getting enough of it and scaling, he said you would use supercomputers to model the whole thing. I'm going to leave that one there. I'm not gonna, I, I wasn't <laughs> right. going to take that one deeper. Um, but in terms of the people that think that this is something we should do, it's fair to say that this is controversial, that this is polarizing, not just amongst the general public, but amongst planetary scientists, because it's not just good old Robbie Greenfield who thinks this is unne unnecessary and irresponsible. Uh, yeah, his stance would be, why build another planet, make it habitable when we can mm. fix this one? I think that's Robbie's stance. That is definitely Robbie's yeah. stance. And I asked Jim about that. But before we even get to that aspect of it, there are other planetary scientists who are very much against the idea of terraforming other planets. So I've asked Jim what he says to all his haters. So science is really made up of a variety of approaches. Uh, the approach I'm taking is let's think about our future using our computer analysis capability, what we know about the environment. Let's stress it. 
Let's change it. Let's look at it uh, and, and see what the results are. Uh, this is very much like uh, predicting climate change on Earth based on current observations. You want to project into the future what will happen. Now, indeed, planetary scientists don't like the idea of terraforming Mars today because we have a lot to learn. There's many things that may happen that we haven't accounted for if we start that process early. So we are scientifically scrambling to figure out everything about Mars that we need to know such that when we get to the point of generating magnetic fields and having humans on the surface of Mars, then that process of terraforming can be well managed, well understood with no surprises. This is about the time that he started to turn me because I went in as a, as a skeptic. Yeah. I remember when we first talked about this story and I thought, how outlandish? Like, why do we need to do this? Why should we do this? And I kind of get his point, which is just part of us as a society and as humanity is moving forward in different ways. Mm -hmm. That is what we do. And yeah. so part of that is just exploring what is scientifically possible. Yeah. Then when I really started to think about it, I thought, what's the harm? <laughs> Really? Yeah, you know, it's like Mars is already kind of a wasteland. We're uh -huh. not affecting anybody or anything, any living species, by kind of experimenting with it a bit. And I surprised myself by having that thought, because I typically think, come on, let it be. I'm surprised. We don't need to mess with everything. But, yeah. yeah, I get the idea of, like, why not explore the notion, explore the thought, figure out what's possible. I mean, that's how all human advancement has ever happened. That's how it, all technology it's, has ever why happened, we're not right? In caves, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if everybody thought the way that... I do or Robbie does, then we would still be living very much in caves, I think. Um, I did ask him, though, if you know enough people get on board and this is we have some kind of futuristic colonization of the red planet and it happens. What, how does this move forward? And he told me we do still have quite a ways to go. Well, NASA is planning to um, leave low Earth orbit, learn to live and work on a planetary surface. That first one will be the moon. Uh, we will use the resources at the moon, uh, such as the in the permanently shadowed regions, the water that's trapped there. Then we'll learn how to live and work on other planets like Mars. So this is indeed a stepwise process that we go about learning in each of these steps. And when humans show up on the surface of Mars, whether there's a magnetic field there or not, the terraforming process will also uh, will will start. I mean, we are terraforming this planet. Uh, humans require a variety of resources that we will then bring and use. The concept of planting material on the surface, uh, whether it's initially encased or as the temperature and pressure of the atmosphere increases, we actually can actually plant and grow food, trees uh, on the land itself. Uh, that will eventually happen. But the concept of terraforming is really done in phases. No one expects in our lifetime or maybe several upcoming lifetimes of our kids and grandkids, and et cetera, that Mars will ever look like Earth. But as we begin the process of changing the atmosphere such that humans can live and work on that surface much more easily, that will then produce what we call terraforming concepts. And, and right now we're running those in supercomputers to see what the results are.
So in short, NASA's already planning to have colonists on the moon and then on to Mars. We might as well start the science for making Mars a little bit more of a pleasant place for those (laughs) colonists to be. That's just great. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is really fascinating. And somebody calling me out, Alex, said that comment that Mars is a wasteland sounds very colonial, similar to what the Europeans might have thought as they were trying to discover the world. And I think that's a fair point. Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that there isn't some sort of existence out there that is outside of our comprehension. Yes, exactly. So fair point to that. Uh, Fahad said, all I see is Leonard from Big Bang Bang Theory when listening to this interview. (laughs) Yeah, I like this one from uh, uh, Sam. That says uh, in total nine, in the 90s movie Total Recall, there was an idea, given, an idea given to build a mega machine to drill into the Mars iceberg to release oxygen to the atmosphere. Seems feasible. Mm. Mm. Well, let's continue this chat and wrap up this chat with Jim because, of course, this is off script. Yep. I had to ask him about the movie The Martian, and it turned out that he was, in fact, NASA's, NASA's head consultant for the movie. And uh, this is what he had to say about that whole process. So Ridley Scott and his team called us, and um, I was assigned to work with his his team, providing all sorts of background information, what Mars looks like, how the spacesuits should work, ion engines, you name it, we talked about it. And so um, the end product, The Martian, the movie, is pretty spectacular. It's very representative, I would say, of what it's going to be like in exploring Mars as it is today for our humans. We will see that happen in our lifetime as we move then from the moon to Mars in the um, late 2030s and into the 2040s. So it's a really exciting time. Now, it is science fiction. There are a few things in it that uh, they didn't get right, but uh, they used for dramatic purposes like the the dust storm uh, dust storms on Mars or anything like uh, like what you see in the movie but uh, it's a it's a great thing to watch and to think about how Mars will look how it will feel and what we will do on the red planet is the overall premise uh, relatively conceivable in the sense of if we could get there and we had these sheltered environments or did you think, nah, this could never happen in the way that, that it's being portrayed? No, it, it, it's very close to what NASA was planning. Andy Weir did indeed do his research, see what NASA was doing, and then began to weave that much into the story. Now, there's a couple things about it, one of which is uh, the story is all about going to Mars with several major missions, and that each time they go, they go to a different place. NASA's not planning to do that. NASA's planning to go to one place on Mars multiple time, you know, maybe for a hundred years or more. And so this will be a base that will continue to improve and grow. And it'll be from that position we will move out uh, to explore the red planet. We land in one place, we live in another place, and we explore various places within that 200 uh, kilometer diameter and we extract resources you know we go and we find water we find the minerals we want we ground them up we use them in our 3d printers we build habitats and structures and so uh, that's another contrast between nasa's approach and the movie and just like that robbie's kind of vindicated for his ludicrous comment about thinking that the martian was real okay 
It is ridiculous that he didn't realize that man has not set foot on the moon just yet. <laughs> However, there is something very real about its portrayal. So yeah. if you are interested about what future life on Mars could look like, about what people think it might look like, then The Martian apparently is a good example of that. We did also talk briefly about that notion that you brought up earlier. Something that Rob says a lot is, why are we so focused on making Mars livable instead of using our resources to fix what's happening here on Earth? He essentially said, listen, we've got such a huge population, resources will will inevitably run out. There are other near-Earth objects that not, you know, when, but if, sorry, not if, but when they collide with yep. the Earth, yep. we need to kind of future-proof wow. was, was his way of, of answering that. Yeah. So big thanks there to Jim Green for sharing his fascinating research and his ideas. He will be continuing his science even as he moves on from NASA. So we definitely wish him the best of luck with that. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 